Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Before, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Anybody ever heard that before? Uh, or or perhaps, perhaps this way, you are who you hang out with, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, how, how many know that, that sometimes the people that we surround ourselves with, the people that we build the closest friendships with, the relationships with, uh, that's really important to our lives. Oftentimes, those are some of the greatest influencers that we have in our lives that can take us in one direction or in, in a different direction. So relationships that we have are really, really important. In fact, in an article, uh, businessinsider.com, motivational speaker Jim Rome, fa- Rohn famously said this. He said, we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. We are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Now, he's writing this to business leaders. He's writing this to people that want to be successful in business, want to be successful in what they do. And so he says, if you want to be successful, you've got to surround yourself with people that carry the same type of values, that have the same character, the same drive, the same motivation. They, what you aspire to be, you need to surround yourself with people like that. And if you do, most likely that is what you will achieve or you'll become. Now that's not, that's not necessarily, that's not a Christian article. But I, I do have to say that when I look in the scripture, scripture says some things that are very, very similar to this when it comes to the people that we surround ourselves with. In fact, in the Proverbs, the wisdom literature of the Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 20, puts it this way, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble, right? That doesn't sound very PC, right? You wrote that today, you get in trouble. But it's biblical. It's biblical. In fact, Paul writes this in, in, in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1533, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Those that you surround yourself with are really, really important. The people that you choose as your best friends, the people that you choose to bring into your inner circle have an impact and an influence on your life. Today, as we dive back into 2 Corinthians, we're going to take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we continue our series, Strength and Weakness. And 2 Corinthians, just to kind of dive back in, how many enjoyed the Holy Spirit Conference last week? Wasn't that a great time? We just had a wonderful time in the presence of the Lord, and it was awesome. But we're going to dive back into where we were in 2 Corinthians. Paul had planted a church in a city in Rome, in the Roman Empire, the city of Corinth. And he had gone there and he had, he had preached and people came to know Christ and he planted a church and he stayed there for about 18 months and then he left. And when he left, he left some people behind, Timothy and Titus and others who were there, left them behind. And, and when he had left, some other people had come in after him and, and they had followed his, him in there and they began to say, well, you know what? Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Paul's not truly an apostle. Paul is not somebody that you can trust. Oh, Paul's gospel. You don't need Paul's gospel. Paul's gospel, has, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't bring enough of this in. It doesn't allow for this. And some error began to come into the church because of false teachers. 
And these false teachers that they began to get close to began to turn them away from Paul and began to allow them to, to bring in other influences. Something about Corinth that we need to know is Corinth is kind of like the Vegas of today, the Vegas of America. It was very, very immoral. It was an extremely sexually immoral culture. It was a, a very idolatrous culture. It was a culture in which uh, it, it did not line up with biblical values. And what took place in the church is that although they were a church that was very charismatic in the gifts of the Spirit, they were also very immoral. And Paul began to hear about these things, and so he, he, he comes and, and, and he writes a letter to them that he calls a severe letter. And they, they reject that letter, and they reject Paul, and Paul comes to make a visit, but it's what he, what he calls a painful visit. In other words, he came to encourage, and instead, he left being very discouraged. He felt like he had lost his place, no influence, that things were getting in, things were working themselves into the church in Corinth that was not helpful. He wrote 1 Corinthians to them and tried to correct some of the doctrinal error and some of the things that were taking place, and, and yet the church continued to persist in immorality. And so now Paul writes again 2 Corinthians as kind of a, a father's heart to a people that he loves, encouraging them to receive him back, clearing up misunderstandings, but also to try to help them deal with some of these influences that had worked themselves in to the church. And, and one of the areas that Paul was deeply concerned about was the influence and, and the relationships that were happening among these believers. Paul wrote to them this, we looked at this two weeks ago, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, right? The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. How many know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a new creation? God has done a new thing in your life. God has, has done a work of regeneration in your life. He has done a, a work of, of conforming you into the image of Christ. The old things have passed away in the tense of the verb, the new has come, or you are becoming new. We are becoming new. It's not just a one-time experience, but we are becoming new. We are becoming like Christ. And then following this, Paul says, not only do you have a new calling, or a new, not only do you have a new, a new life, uh, have God done something in your life, but there's a new calling on your life. You are ambassadors for Christ as though Christ was making his appeal through you, and you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And so we have a missional aspect to what's happening. We've, been, we've got a new creation, and now we've got a new call, and that new call is to be ministers of reconciliation. But now in chapter 6, Paul provides another warning, and, and it has to do with these relationships that we can get into. And as new creation, we've got to be careful of the closeness of the relationships that can take us away from becoming new as Christ desires us to become. In fact, we've got to be concerned about the impact of influences in our life and the impact that they can have on the testimony of us as believers in Christ. What I'm referring to today has to do with who do we bring into our circles? Who do we bring in as our close friends, as our best friends? We might even get into talking a little bit about dating and marriage and those kind of things today for those of you that are single, because Paul's going to begin to, to talk about something 
that, that is really, really important, and it's called the doctrine of separation. That's a big churchy term, isn't it? Doctrine of separation. What does it mean, separation? Paul's going to talk a little bit about this idea, but before we get into it, let me just highlight two extremes that have come and just kind of talk about these extremes of the doctrine of separation and and where sometimes the church has erred. How many know the pendulum rarely ever stops in the middle, right? And it swings to these two sides. The first error in the doctrine of separation is isolation. It's an extreme response to the verses like we read at the beginning about the company that we keep, walk with the wise and you'll be wise, walk with fools, you'll get in trouble, or, uh, you know, the company you keep, bad company corrupts good morals. And and as a result and a response to these, and a a verse we're going to look at today that Paul talks about, People have moved to, you know what, we can't hang around anybody who's an unbeliever. We can't be around people who are unbelievers. We don't want to be contaminated in any way by unholiness or bad influence. And so we've just got to create our own little circles and our own little huddles and just stay and isolate away from the world. You know what I'm talking about? But that's not a biblical approach, is it? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And in fact, in chapter 5, he said that we are to be Christ's ambassadors as though Christ was making his appeal through us and ministers of reconciliation. And you can't do that without relationship. So isolation is in error. In fact, even in Jesus' own ministry, we don't see him in in isolation, but we see him reaching out to people who are in need. A good example of this is in John chapter 4 when Jesus stops at a well and there's a Samaritan woman that comes out kind of about the, the noonday hour or later on in the afternoon, and she's just as surprised that Jesus is talking to her as we might be. In fact, probably more surprised by the interaction. John 4, 9 says the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Isolation. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? You see, the the Jews over their time had had found themselves uh, getting close to, to people of other nations And they began to adopt the idolatry of those other nations and it turned their heart away from God and they were taken into captivity and and they were warned against that. And so in a way, in order to protect themselves from that, they moved to isolation. You you don't want to be corrupted by the world. You can't have anything to do with anybody that is not a Jew. Those Gentiles, stay away from them. We've got to create these walls and isolation out of fear of corruption. But it's not necessarily biblical. It was an extreme out of fear, and they lost the idea of their mission in the world as was upon Abraham's life, that I have called you out to be a blessing. That you are, you are to stay, you are to be separate, not isolated, separate, so that the world can see what it's like when someone serves me and how I work in and through their life. Abraham was to be a light, the nation of Israel was to be a light, but because of fear of of being corrupted, fear of of these other influences, they moved to isolation and they they weren't doing, they weren't a part of the love and the mission that Jesus was trying to get them back to. 
The second extreme of the doctrine of separation is what we call assimilation. And assimilation is, is that we become so much like the world in which we live, we're not separated and we're not isolated, but we begin to become like the culture and like the world around us. Going back to Jesus' message in Matthew 5, 13, although he says you are the salt of the earth, he says this, but what good is salt if it loses its flavor? How can it be made salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot and worthless. Salt is a preservative. Salt is something that makes you thirsty. And Jesus says that you as believers, you are the salt of the earth, but if you become too much like the world around you, assimilating into its values and into its culture and compromising, you lose your influence. You lose your effectiveness. And as a result of that, you, 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 you miss out. And so assimilation is as dangerous as isolation to the mission of Jesus. And Paul was concerned with these believers in Corinth, not so much about isolation with them, but more about their assimilation. He was concerned about how much they had, they had assimilated into the world, how much they had brought into the world. They had the worship of Jesus, but they opened themselves up to the practices of their culture as well. And as a result of that, although they worshiped Jesus, their faith had been compromised and he was very much concerned about the false teachers and the corrupting influence of their culture in which they lived. And as a result, they were missing out on the blessing of God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 14, here's what he says, and this is the passage, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. How many have ever heard that? How many have heard that in association with dating, in association with marriage? And although it has application there, it is not limited to that. All right? So let's, let's take a look. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? And what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Now, again, oftentimes this is associated with dating or, or, or with marriage. And, and I know when I was a youth pastor, you know, you, you counsel students, you know, when you see them starting to date somebody that, that's not a believer. You're like, whoa, 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 hey, not good. Don't be unequally yoked. Whoa, be careful. And there's, there's application there. It's really, really important, but, the, but, but it goes far beyond just that, just beyond the context of marriage and dating. Part, Paul is, is very much concerned about these close relationships that these, these believers are having with others who are unbelievers or don't share their values. And it goes way beyond those types of things. In fact, in these verses we're going to look at today, there are three reasons why Paul calls us to live, live a separated life. Not isolated, not assimilated, but separated. And that's a little bit different. We're going to understand a little bit of what that is. And so how do we live a separate, why should we live a separated life as believers? Well, the first reason is this, the nature of the believer the nature of the believer. Let's talk a little bit about nature. Using this idea of symbolism in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Paul uses the symbolism of a yoke, of a yoke. Now, how many of you, how many of you plow fields in here? Anybody plow fields in here? I think there's one. Yeah, Larry plows fields in here. And I, I doubt if Larry does it the way they did it there. You probably have a tractor and you pull something behind. And, but in those days, when you plowed fields, it was more like going to middle field where you have a couple of animals, you know, with a yoke uh, around them, 
and, and you're plowing the fields. Well, in Deuteronomy, there was, there was some instruction that was given to the people, and this is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 10. You must not plow with an ox and a donkey harnessed together. And you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, this was both spiritual and physical. Spiritual because in Leviticus, it tells us that an ox was a clean animal and a donkey was an unclean animal. And so some have kind of said, you know, this is about the clean and the unclean not being together. But I want to just say that there's a very real practical part of this that I think is equally important when it comes to God caring for his creation. Now, if you take a look at the nature, because we're talking about the nature of a believer, but if you take a look at the nature of these animals, an ox is very large, an ox is very strong, an ox can, can move, and an ox, when it tends to plow, tends to plow straight ahead. An ox tends to be a little more obedient in what the, the, the person driving the ox wants it to do. On the other side, you have a donkey, and a donkey's a little bit smaller, a donkey's not quite as strong as an ox. A donkey doesn't move. But more importantly, the nature of a donkey is not to go in a straight line. A donkey wants to go this way, and a donkey wants to go that way, and sometimes the donkey doesn't want to go at all. You know what I'm talking about? So you pair these two animals together, and it's downright cruel, and it's ineffective. It's cruel because the ox, when it gets going, is stronger, and it's got to pull against the donkey who's not pulling in the same direction while it's pulling the plow behind, which is a lot of work. And so now the, 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 the ox is having to work a lot harder because it's constantly fighting against the donkey, and the poor little donkey wants to just bear down, and I'm not moving, or I want to go this way, and just gets yanked, Right? It's just cruel. Why? Because the natures don't line up. And, and that's at the crux of, of what Paul is saying when it comes to us as a new, you're a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And with that, the changing of close relationships in our lives, because when we have those close relationships and those values differ because of Christ's transformation in our heart or life or what he's wanting to do in our lives is he's wanting us to move forward. When we yoke ourselves with unbelievers, people that don't believe the same way, have the same passion for God, not going in the same direction when it comes to our relationship with God, we find that there is conflict. We find that there is constraint. We find that there is difficulty. And sometimes, depending on who is stronger, one is being drugged in a different direction. Why? Because of its nature. There's a couple of characteristics of yokes. One, they're not easily broken. That's why it's so important. They're not easily broken. And secondly, they're designed to constrain. So let's think about it because we often use this scripture in terms of dating and marriage, but let's think about it. When you are single, you get to live your life, right? You make your decisions, right? You, when, when, I'm, when, when, I, when you're single and you, you, have your own, you have your own schedule, if somebody calls up and says, hey, today we're going for pizza. Do you want to come? Sure. But when you're dating somebody, you start to, you, you, you get married. Hey, you want to come for pizza? If you go, sure. How many of you know that's not compatible with marriage? 
you, you got to go, hmm, let me, well, let me check the schedule. I don't know what's happening at home. And then when you have kids, it's even more, right? You better check the schedule, otherwise you're going to come see me for marriage counseling, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. When you're single, you get to go do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. You can spend whatever you want, whenever you want to spend. If you have the money and you like that sports car and you want to, I don't recommend, you can buy that sports car. When you are married or you're, you're in a close dating relationship with somebody and that comes up, guess what? You buy that sports car and you drive it home, you're sleeping on the couch, Why? Because when we get in those close relationships, there's a constraint. And this is not against marriage. I believe in marriage. You ought to get married. If you, if, if you feel that, you, marriage is, is, is God, but you've got to marry the right person who's going in the same direction that shares the same values. You've got to date somebody that shares the same values. Now, that's dating, and I said this passage is much beyond that. Absolutely, because if somebody is your best friend or you start to hang out and get close to somebody at work or close to somebody over here and you really like it, and the more you get close to them, guess what? Your heart desires to please them. And if they're not going in the same direction and encouraging the right things, then pretty soon you find yourself compromising on things you never thought you would compromise on. I'll never do that. But you get around the wrong, wrong company. You get around the wrong people. You get around these others and they start pulling against you. And oh, come on. Oh, that's not bad. Oh, come on. You can do that. And you find yourself. Ooh. I mean, some of you who've been married for a while. You are more like your spouse than you realize. You, you, the two become what? One. The two become one. So we have this idea here of influencing thoughts, and, and, and it has to do with these natures, the contrasting in natures. Take a look at the verses 14 through 16. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? Two natures. How can light live with darkness? Light and darkness, two, two natures. How, what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? There's none. It's opposite. How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? It's, it's opposites. It's opposite natures. Paul goes from the yoke and, and talking about the different natures of these, these animals that are trying to pull and are supposed to go in a direction. And now he says, listen, I'm going to just give you a rundown. All of these things are opposite. And that's what it's like. When you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're a new creation, then when you have close relationships, you've got to be careful that those relationships are pulling in the same direction. It's not that it's not a missional. This is not isolation. It's about the people that we bring in closest to us. Now, if you're married to an unbeliever, if you, get, you, you find yourself and you, 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 you receive Christ into your life and God changes you, but your spouse does not. Scripture says you stay married and you serve them and, and, and actually uses the word sanctification through you. You stay in it. You stay in it. But if you have the choice, this is pre, don't go missionary dating. Be careful. I've seen more often times than not 
that rather than you lift them up, you find them drag you down. In fact, the word harmony in the Greek here is where we get our English word symphony from. Think about a symphony. A symphony is made up of different instruments, right? There's different instruments. You have your strings and you have your woodwinds and you have your percussion and and you have your horns and you, you all these different instruments. And they come together and when they come together, they they are given a score. They're all given the same score. And on that score is, is the same pattern for the music and the same key to the music. Although they might be playing different parts, they're all playing to the same score and they're all following the same conductor. And when that music comes, it is absolutely beautiful. But what would happen if those instruments came together and a few of them decided they were going to bring their own score And they were going to play in their own key. And they were going to play what they wanted to. And they were going to follow their own conductor. What would happen? It would sound distorted. It would sound dissonant. It, it, It would not come together in beautiful harmony as it's meant to be. And friends, that's what it's like when we try to move in the direction of Christ And we link ourselves up with people that do not believe the same way. And we try to move in a direction with that. It just doesn't work. It creates discourse, discord, and and it leads to compromise and conflict and constraint. Secondly, the second reason is, is it's the command of Scripture. Look at the next part, verse 16. And what union can there be between God's temples, temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Remember, we talked about that last week. We're the temple of the living God. And, and as God said, I will live in them. The Holy Spirit, as a believer, the Holy Spirit lives in you. I will live in them and walk among them. And I will be their God. And they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers. There's the command. Come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. This is a passage that is quoted from an Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 11 where Isaiah is prophesying about the time when the Israelites would be in captivity. They had been in captivity. They were in Babylonian captivity and God opened up the door for them to come back. And if you remember from the Daniel series, many of them didn't. They wanted to remain, but God was calling them out. Come out and be separate. Come out and be separate. There are, there's a, a new pattern of living. There's a new way. There's a new way in which I want you to live, and there's a new way in which I want you to worship. There's a, there's a new way to worship. We're going to rebuild the temple, and we're going to rebuild the city of our God. There's a new way, so come out and be separate. It's a call to holiness. And there's a command in Scripture where we are called as believers when we are a new creation in Christ to to separate, to come out from the culture in which we were in and separate and dedicate ourselves unto God. That's part of it is separation. Part of holiness and being called out is not just that we are saved on the inside, but that as Christ begins to do a work on the inside, we begin to change some of those habits and patterns on the outside, and we come out, and we live holy. No amens there. 
on. That's what it's about. It's about living holy. God was calling them out. Holiness is simply this, separating ourselves from this world and dedicating ourselves to God who has graciously set us free to a new and abundant life. God makes us holy, but we also have to participate in that process by coming out, being separate, and dedicating ourselves unto God. Now, what does that mean? Well, remember, Jesus said that I've come to give you life, and I've come to give you it what? Abundantly, right? Abundantly. Now, for all of those who have been a new creation in Christ, who put their faith in Jesus, you have been given eternal life. You have been given life. And there are a lot of believers that have been given life, but not every believer is living abundant life. There's a difference between life and abundant life. Some are walking in life, but others are living in abundant life. An abundant life requires separation from sin and dedication to God. In the Old Testament, Abraham was called to leave his homeland. He lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. Ur, you are. You can read about it in history books and things. Ur of the Chaldees, that kind of land in Mesopotamia. And it was a pagan culture, it was a pagan land, but God got a hold of his heart and spoke to him and Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, but he had to come out from the land in which he knew and he had to follow God to a land that he didn't know. And when he got there to this land where God said, this is the land, it was called Canaan and, and, and Abraham and an act of dedication and worship and trust built an altar to God. And, and what he found there is that the land wasn't vacant. There were still people in the land, yet he believed that God was going to give he and his descendants, even though he didn't even have a, a, a child at that time, a son at that time, that God was going to honor his promise to him. And he, and he followed God. Well, while they were there in the land, Abraham had brought his nephew with him, and his nephew's name was Lot. And he brought Lot with him. And, and as they followed God together, God began to bless them, both Abraham and Lot. Lot was also blessed by God. And scripture tells us that their herds and their flocks began to grow in number. God began to multiply them. And so Abraham had, 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 had lots of flocks that were growing. He was becoming very wealthy and he had servants. And Lot, his nephew, also began to be blessed by God, began to have lots of herds and servants. The problem was is that in the land, conflict grew. Conflict between Abram's servants and Lot's servants. Conflict began to grow. And so uh, Abram stands up and, and, and he says to Lot, hey, you know what? We're family. Let's not fight about this. The land is before you. If you go to the north, I'll go to the south. And if you go to the east, I'll go to the west, right? Let, let there not be any. There, there, there's plenty. And so Lot goes first. And this is what scripture says. I'm going somewhere with this, so just hang with me for a moment. Genesis 13, 10. Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor. The whole area was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. That's like Eden and the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. And he went there with his flocks and his servants and he parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan. And look at this next line. Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinning against the Lord. 
You see what happened? So, so Lot opens up his eyes and Lot goes, ooh, I like that. Ooh, that looks good. Oh, that ought to benefit me. And Lot picks up his tent and Lot begins to go and he moves his tent near the cities of Sodom, near the city of Sodom, and the Bible describes it as a very wicked place. So he was separated from Ur of the Chaldees, come out, but now he's moved back near a very wicked place that doesn't share the same values. And what we find is, is in the next chapter, in Genesis chapter 14, uh, there is an army that comes against Sodom and, and, and Gomorrah and some of those cities and comes in and literally takes those cities captive. And Lot is so close that takes Lot captive. Lot actually gets captive. He gets taken away and, 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 and he's in need of rescue again. He got close to wicked cities and he was swept away and came out from under God's protection because he began to live and pitch his tent in a place of compromise near Sodom. And in God's grace, Abram finds out about it. Abram prays and says, God, God, will you give me favor if I go and rescue them? Remember, Abram's just a family. This is not a nation. And he gets some people together in a little alliance and God says, I'll give them to you. And so he goes and he rescues Lot from danger. And I'm sure that the story goes like this, right? Lot came back and, oh, what was I thinking? Why did I choose there? Why did I pitch my tents near that evil city? I should have never done that. I'm going to move away now because I came out from under God's protection and how I've been rescued and given a second chance. That's how the story goes, right? No, some of you haven't read this story before. Genesis, you need to read it. It's really good. No, Lot doesn't do that. In fact, because Lot is related to Abraham and Abraham rescued the king of Sodom, wants to give Abraham uh, a whole lot of the, 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 what they pillaged from the enemy. And, and Abraham says, no, you're not going to make me rich. Only God makes me rich. I'm not taking this from you. I'm, I'm staying separate. I'm not taking this from you. I'm trusting in God. I'm not going to take this from you. But old, old Lot, well, my uncle Abram rescued us. And so where do we find him? Well, in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 1, we find Lot sitting in the gateway of the city. So now he's not just pitched his tent near, now he's involved in the city. Now he's there in the city. And this time, there has been enough sin that has been piling up that God says judgment is coming to this city. And he sends angels and they tell Abram about what's going to happen. And, and he begins to intercede for his nephew Lot. Oh, if you, if you find 30 righteous there, will you still destroy the city? No, I won't destroy it if I find 30. How about 20? How about 10? Abram is concerned about Lot. And, and so the angels come and Lot's sitting in the gate and Lot recognizes he's got enough recognition although he's living in compromise he's living surrounded and in compromise but he's got enough revelation and and he recognizes and they warn him and they say get out because we're going to destroy this city well lots so involved that he has some daughters and his daughters need to get married and so they're pledged to be married to these guys that that, that are, are of the city of sodom son-in-laws and so so lot is like hey Guys, they're telling us destruction is coming. We got to get out. And you know what the response was? <laughs> oh, you're funny. That's not going to happen. Why? Because Lot had lived so compromised that he had no reputation to warn when there was danger. His testimony had been impacted by his compromise. And so had his judgment. 
Because when he decides to escape and he takes his daughters and he takes his wife and get out of the city and the angels say, go to the mountains, go flee to the mountains. He says, no, no, that's too far. We can't make it there. We'll never survive. But there's this little town called Zor. It's still in here. It's still in the plains. God was going to destroy all the plains. This little town called Zor. Can't we just go there? And I say that that's a compromise. Because if you go to the mountains and you go to look back, you can't necessarily see the city. You might see the smoke, but you won't see the city. But rather than go and flee to the mountains, they stayed in the valley. And because Lot's wife had gotten so entangled and her heart so entangled in loving the things of Sodom and Gomorrah, the wicked things in those cities, she turned and she looked back and she was destroyed. And later on, his daughters, taking on what they knew by their father's leading and compromise in the city said, well, we're not even married now. Our, our, our husbands are destroyed. Who's going to live out our lineage and who's going to carry on our family name? There's nobody. So let's get daddy drunk and let's sleep with him and let's have a baby with him. Yeah, that's what it says. That's, whoa, ah, I'd never do that. Yeah, you say that now, but you get around the wrong people. You compromise. You go pitch your tent near where there's sin, and you say, I can dabble in a little bit, and I can be okay. I can dabble a little here, and I'll be okay. Guess what? The Bible says, don't be yoked with unbelievers. The Bible says, don't compromise in those things. Why? Because you will be compromised. You will do things you never thought you would do, and you will find yourself away from God. And when his warning comes, you will not heed it. You will pretend, oh, that's not going to happen. Judgment? There's no judgment day. Hell's not a real place. God loves everybody. We can say that sexual immorality is okay in the church. That's what our culture says. You got to live together and shack up before you're married. Try it out first. Make sure it works. What? Homosexuality is okay. Come on, they're just people. We got to love them. Yeah, we need to love, but the Bible says it's sin. It's clear. We should not have churches ordaining people who are homosexuals it's a sin like any other sin we shouldn't ordain people or 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 put a stamp and put in leadership people who are not living according to God's word and I'm going to tell you that sexual immorality is huge in our culture it's huge and what's happened is it's become normal and accepted and so we start to believe that it's okay because we start to watch the shows where everybody says it's okay. It's just normal. And if you don't believe it's normal, then there's something wrong with you. You must hate people. I'm not trying to get on this train. If you struggle with that, I'd love to talk with you about God's love for you and what the Bible says. But friends, we have found ourselves losing our testimony, because we live so compromised. The command is to come out and be separate. 
John, 1 John 2, 15 and 17. Pastor, that's Old Testament, is it? Here's 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we see and pride in achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You see, the third reason we are to live separate is because there's a promise of God's blessing. It's, it's to live in God's blessing. In fact, 2 Corinthians 6, 18 through 7, verse 1 says, And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Let me just pause for a moment. Can I pause for a moment? Do you know the basis for separation and holiness is relationship? It's not religion. It's not legalism. It's relationship. As you begin to come out of these things, we have fellowship. There's nothing that's inhibiting our fellowship. There's nothing that's breaking that fellowship. Come out from among them and you will experience this relationship from your heavenly father and you'll be my sons and my daughters. Friends, there's a blessing here that comes out of relationship. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves. How many of you know God cleanses us, right? What does this cleanse ourselves? Because you and I have a part. Yes, Jesus cleanses us. Lord, if, we, if, you, forgive, if, you, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Absolutely. But you also have a part when it comes to walking in holiness. And that is that there are things in your life that you know shouldn't be there. There are decisions that you know you've made that you shouldn't make. There are things that are practices and habits that you've been doing. There are people in your life that you know are taking you away from God and that are compromising your faith. And you've got to make a decision. Separate yourself. Put that habit away. Crucify the flesh for good. Lay it on the altar. God's just not going to suddenly whoop. I, I believe God delivers. God delivers. I've seen it. God delivers from demons, but God doesn't deliver from the flesh. You've got to crucify the flesh. Scripture doesn't say deliver the flesh. Scripture says crucify the flesh and its passions. Okay. Cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work towards complete holiness. Why? Because what? Because we fear God. Not I'm afraid of God, but that I'm so awe, in awe of God, so reverent. I just have this honoring relationship and I just recognize that the fear of the Lord says, no, 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 because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and I begin to realize that, that if I really want to take hold of God's promises, I've got to live God's way. It's not that I'm earning them, but at the same time, as a good parent, I'm not going to bless my children when they're walking in a way in which they shouldn't. 
If they're walking in a path that is destructive, guess what? I'm not giving them any money. I'm not giving them the keys to the car. I'm not going to support sinful behavior. Why? Because I'm a mean, awful parent? No! Because I love them and I'm not funding destruction to their lives. If I love them, then I'm going to say, sorry, figure it out. You're going to have to sin a different way, but you're not sinning on my dime. Why? Because I love them. I want to bless them. I want to encourage. But I'll tell you, the relationship would be strained because we don't have the same values and not going in the same direction. Oh, I got to move on. Friends, the separation and dedication is both cleanse ourselves, physical actions, but also the attitude of the heart, the spirit and the heart. It has to do with the spirit as well as the heart. And and we've got to begin to move into that. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm going to land the plane. God is not calling us to isolation. Please do not take this message and go, don't be yoked with unbelievers. We've got to just isolate ourselves. We've got to get in our little holy huddle and, and we can't let the world contaminate us. All right? Not isolation. But it's not assimilation. Oh, I'm going to be in the world and of the world. I've got to be of the world so I can reach those in the world. No, it's not that way either. But it is separation. It is separation. It is recognizing those things and those people in our lives that we bring in that compromise God's holiness and God's righteous standard. It is taking a look at the way in which the world lives and saying, you know, that's not the way that God wants me to live. And no, I'm not going to live that way. What do you mean you're not going to do that? No, I'm not going to do that. Why? You're weird. Yes, I am. Because normal isn't working. Normal's not working. That's not normal. Yeah, take a look around you at normal. See where normal has gotten us. Open your eyes. Watch the news. That's normal. I don't want normal. So here's what I want us to do. Just bow your heads for a moment. And right now, we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit just to search our hearts. I want you to invite the Holy Spirit right now. Say, Holy Spirit, search my heart. Holy Spirit, search my heart. Holy Spirit, search my life. And if there is anything in my life, anything where I have compromised, things that I've compromised, things that I've given into, things that I know I ways I shouldn't be living, attitudes I shouldn't have, or maybe, maybe there's people in your life that you you know that when you're around them, you're just not following Jesus. And rather than having an influence on them, they have a greater influence on you. And maybe it's time to to make a decision to put some space in that relationship. I'm not saying you have to completely cut it off. There might be. There might be a, a relationship that you have right now that you've got to cut off. But there might be. There might be just some space. I'm just not, not going to hang out as much. I'm going to start to try to build new relationships and new friendships and make some other decisions, hang out with other people. There's some things in my life that are not right with the Lord, and I gotta, I gotta, I gotta stop doing those things. I gotta pick up some new habits. I gotta do something differently. 
I need to dedicate myself to the Lord. And if that's you today, as I pray, will you just begin to confess your sin to the Lord? Will you confess those things to God? Will you ask the Lord to give you the strength to begin to come out and be separate today? To walk in holiness and walk in the abundant life that he has promised. Jesus, we thank you for your word, that you are the word. We ask you, Holy Spirit, right now to search every cavity, every hidden place, every part of our heart. And God, if there's an area in our lives that is not pleasing to you, will you reveal it so that we can confess it to you? If there are habits, if there are actions, if there are influences that we've brought close and near, if there are relationships that maybe need to have some space or need to be separated so that we can fully become the new creation that you've called us to be, bring it to mind. Father, we confess our sin to you and we ask you to forgive us and cleanse us today, to make us holy and righteous to give us the strength, God, to walk according to your word and your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.